0: The following audio is from Downtown Church, a multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, visit downtownchurch.com.
1: Praise God for the gifts of our children. Um, Deuteronomy 6 points us to the reality that we should raise them up and train them up in
0: the way that they should go. So let's now go to God's Word. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who is faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also is faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Was it not all of those who left Egypt and led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. The very word of God. Amen. Mm. Again, this
1: is the very word of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. So, before this whole thing of all students wearing uniforms, there was the the modern advent of school clothes. Anybody remember school clothes? And I think the uniforms are a fantastic idea. But some person in merchandise or in retail came up with this whole idea of school clothes. uh, Just to spend our parents' money. You know what I'm saying? And so... All of a sudden, now it's ingrained in your child's mind, and one day it will be ingrained in my child's mind, that every year I have to get new clothes. Before school starts, I have to get... New clothes. So, you know, for some back in the day, it was Jodicey boots or MC Hammer pants or for some it was, it was the Tommy Hill figure plaid shirts or, you know, for, for who, whatever era you lived in, maybe you tied or rolled up your pants, you know, some of y'all used to roll your pants up at the bottom, you know, that, that was your, your style. That was a part of your school attire. But this whole advent of school clothes the main idea is that you would go to school fresh to death. That that you would go to school looking better than anybody else. That you you wanted your your fit to be fresh, and you know, so so what I used to do is, you know, we would get school clothes and you'd pressure your parents, you, you wanted to get the latest Jordans, or you wanted to get the latest whatever the case, and uh, th- what we would do is, I would go to school, I wouldn't wear anything new for like three weeks. You know why? Because after those three weeks, When everybody else has worn all of their new school clothes, I'm stepping out fresh. You know what I'm saying? The the toes of my shoes hadn't been bent up yet like everybody else's. They're fresh. and, and, And I'm just waiting in the balance until everybody else wears all of their stuff and I got my little two outfits, you know. (laughs) But I'm going to make it work. And I'm going to wait a few weeks before I bring it out. Why? Because I want to look better than anybody else. I want to be the best. I want to be better than anybody else. And when we look at our passage, this is the exact picture of what the writer of Hebrews is doing. Is it school clothes? No. Essentially what he does is he takes chapter after chapter to say Christ is better. That Jesus is fresh to death. That, that, that he has the cleanest attire. He has the best character. He has the best attributes. And you should fix your eyes upon him. It says that Christ is better. That there's nothing that compares to him. And he don't have to wait for three weeks to come out with his stuff. He just steps on the scene. And he's the freshest in the room day one. His shoes don't bend all up on the end like everybody else's shirts don't wear down and his pants don't wear down like everybody else's. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is essentially that Christ is better than. He's better than. And when we come to our text, we need to remember that. And we're going to see chapter after chapter after chapter that the writer of Hebrews, he is making the strong case that Christ is better Whatever you would put up to Him, whatever you would attempt to compete with Him in your mind, and your heart, that He is better than. And there's nothing that can compete with Him. But before we jump in more, let's pray this morning. Father, thank You. Thank You that You've given us a great picture of Your Son. And I pray, Father, that we would just pause this morning and that we would lay aside the things that may hold us back and that we would be able to zoom in on who you are. Help us, God. As the writer of Hebrews labors and labors, Father, I know that he is only an instrument for you. So as Your Word goes forth this morning, God, would You show us clearly that Your Son is better. Father, as we have competing interest in our lives, I pray that the dominating theme would resonate in our hearts and in our minds that Christ is better than. We need You this morning to show up, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people say, Amen. If you're new with us, several weeks, we began a series walking through the book of Hebrews. And we began walking through Hebrews unit of thought by unit of thought by unit of thought. And if there's one way we can label label Hebrews, it is the bigness of Christ. It's the idea that all that we need can be found in Jesus Christ. It's the idea that we don't have to look any further. All that we need is in Him. And the writer of Hebrews is unknown, but he is laboring to make the case to his Jewish readers that they might refocus their attention to the person of Jesus Christ. And the author of Hebrews understands that there is a very real temptation for his readers to have their attention divided. And dare I say, he knows that this, this temptation would be a lasting temptation even till today. That there is a temptation in our own hearts and in our own minds to have divided attention. There's competing interests. And over and over again, if you read through these pages, what you will find is that Christ is attempting to refocus our attention that we might see that He is better. So right out of the gate in Hebrews chapter 1, look at this with me. Verses 2 and 3, he says of Jesus... After purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And we ought to come back to this over and over again because what the writer of Hebrews is, he's rehearsing this same message throughout all of the book that Christ is all that we need, that we don't have to look any further. That Christ is better than, and He has made a way of escape for us. He has come to rescue us, and He has offered Himself to do so. He has made a way of escape. We've seen that Christ is greater than the angels, and we've seen that Christ has suffered so that we wouldn't have to suffer, and yet, it isn't just like us, isn't it just like us to forget the truth of the Scriptures? Isn't it just like us to forget the truth of Christ? It is. And, and you know what? It was just like this, the, the, the antiquity, the Jewish Christians of antiquity. And what the writer of Hebrews does is he labors to remind them over and over and over again. And you may say, you know what? Th- this is the same message. And essentially it is. Because we are prone to forget. That Christ is better than. And when we walk out of this room, we go about our lives and we we are searching our bank accounts and looking at our 401ks and examining our marriages and looking at our children going nuts. And we are tempted to think that something else we can find our hope in. And when we come to this passage, our attention... Is refocused that we may gaze upon Christ and see Him for all that He is. When we get to our passage, listen to what the writer says. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling. And I love this because a portion of this passage is specifically dedicated to Jewish Christians specifically dedicated to church folk. And here you and I may think, yeah, I I, I know that those unbelievers, those people on the outside, they really need to hear this. And the writer of Hebrews would say, no, no, no. Those on the inside of the four walls of the church, they really need to hear this need to hear that Christ is essential. They, they need to hear that Christ is better than anything that we might attempt to compare Him to or anything that we might attempt to put on His level. We need to be reminded, church folk, folk that attempt to uh, assume that our church going gains us acceptance to Jesus Christ. Uh, folk that uh, that think that our virginity attempts to gain us acceptance to Jesus Christ. Church folk need to hear this. The writer of Hebrews is saying that they are prone to wander and they, they are tempted to forget the truth of Scripture and we are too. And church, we need to be reminded Christ is essential. He can be trusted. And even though... We may have trusted in Christ before that there are still more, more excellencies for us to discover. There's still beauty that we hadn't delved into yet. There's still more for us to know. That's why the writer of Hebrews helps us to refocus our attention and he reminds us that we hadn't, that God hadn't done with us yet even though we are in Christ. We've got to see that Christ is better because not one of our superstars can compete with Him. Look at verse 3 with me. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. You got to know that this was huge in antiquity. The fact that Jesus was counted As more glorious, and he is responsible, he gets more glory than Moses. This is huge in the mind of a Jewish person who held Moses in high esteem. And remember, Moses is the guy who helped bring the Ten Commandments. Moses is the guy who wrote the first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch. Uh, the, the, the the first five books of the Bible, they're called the Law of God, or get this, the Law of Moses. This is how high he was held in the Jewish Christian mind. Moses is a guy who, who not only received the Word of God and gave it to the people of God, but the Jewish Christians, all they knew of was prophets who, who got visions from God. But here Moses is a guy who spoke to God face to face. And they held him in high esteem because all of these godly, great accolades. Moses is the guy who helped free uh, the, the nation of Israel out of Egypt. And he, he would proclaim, let my people go. Pharaoh, Pharaoh. Y'all remember that song, Pharaoh, Pharaoh? Oh, baby, let my people go. Oh, yeah, yeah. Somebody knows, yeah. Somebody went to Sunday school. But here they held him in high esteem. Uh, He's the guy. You you remember uh, as they were going through and and, and running away from Pharaoh, Pharaoh changes his mind. He sends his army after the nation of Israel, and they, they get the Red Sea and all of a sudden the Red Sea is spread and, and the nation of Israel they get to walk through clean and clear and and Pharaoh's people are following behind and, and the Red Sea folds up on them this is the guy who set them free and they hold him in high esteem and all the while the writer is saying I know he has done some good things but Christ is even better than him He's spoken to God face to face. He's he's heard from God from a burning bush. He has heard from God. God has spoken to him from heaven. And all the while, the writer of Hebrews is reminding them, I know you hold him in high esteem, but Christ is still better. Moses cannot compare to God. And we need to know how this struck them. Because the person... Who, who they held in high esteem was the person who received the law of God and helped write the law of God. And you know that Jewish Christians lived their every waking moment by the law. This is what guided their lives. This is the guiding principle of their lives. And, and so they respected Moses. when the writer of Hebrews says Christ is better this is a, a landmark decision and they know the truth but they need to be reminded of it that even though Moses has done some good things Christ is better yet the writer of Hebrews is refocusing their attention here's what the writer of Hebrews is saying as great as Moses is He is still creation. And why in the world would you worship a created being when you have the ability to worship the creator of the universe? He's saying, here is a God who's, yes, he's done some good things, but I have torn the veil and I've given you the privilege to worship the creator of the universe. You don't have to worship a created being who has done some good things. I'm giving you the opportunity to worship the creator of the universe. John chapter 1 verse 3 says this, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Even John shows Jesus as the creator of the universe. But the writer of Hebrews is saying, get this, don't settle for second best. And in that what we are so tempted to do so often, we are tempted to settle for second best. Things that will leave us empty, things that will leave us depressed, things that will leave us in a place of darkness. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is only Christ is fulfilling. Don't settle for second best. Moses did some good things, but he is second best. And he cannot compare to the work of Jesus Christ. See, I love this because the writer of Hebrews, he affirms that Moses actually did great work. And that Moses, get this, he was faithful to God. And and parenthetically, here is what God is requesting of us. That you and I would be faithful. Several times we see in this first half of our text... That Moses was faithful to God. That Christ was faithful to His Father. What God is asking of you and I is that we would be faithful to Him. That we wouldn't give our worship. That we wouldn't give our allegiance. That we wouldn't give our adoration to any other. That we would be faithful. And the writer acknowledges Moses' faithfulness. Yet he still declares that Christ is better. And in this declaration, he is essentially saying, even people that we may lift up to superstar status, Christ gets more honor. Christ gets more recognition. Christ gets more fame. For he has a different status. He's a son. And Moses is just a servant. Servants will always fade away, but a son will remain the same. Christ is has a different status because he's he's a son. Here's what the writer of uh, of Hebrews is saying. He's saying Moses will fail you, church. He's saying the people that you tend to elevate to a high place, they will always fall off the pedestal. They will fail you. They'll fail you. And you will be left in a dark place. Moses, and we know the story of Moses' life, Moses will fail you. And he will leave you in a dark place. Pastors will fail you. If you lift us up on a pedestal, we will fall down as soon as possible and we will fail you. Your spouse will fail you. Your children will fail fail you. If you're dating somebody, that person will fail you. The only person who will never fail you is Jesus Christ, and this is what the writer of Hebrews is pointing to. That everybody else will fail. That your children will go in directions that you never thought they would go. That spouses will cheat and and, and people will lie behind your back and people will fail But Christ will remain the same. Only He will remain the same. I remember years ago, um, the Pope came to St. Louis. And I'm from St. Louis. And years ago, the Pope came to St. Louis and spent uh, a few hours in St. Louis. And people from all over the place came to see the Pope. I mean, the streets were 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 packed, and and you can imagine the Pope is, you know, y'all seen that little four-wheeler deal? He's got glass, you know, bulletproof glass over him, and uh, he's got the, the 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 priestly regalia on, and you know, he's he's waving at everybody and 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 kissing on kids. Um, People from all over the place. I remember, I think I was in high school around the time. Uh, The Pope came to town and he shut the city down. Everybody wanted to see the Pope. I was at a Christian school at the time. And they let people get out without repercussion to go see the Pope. People wanted to lay their eyes upon him. People wanted to touch the Pope. That they wanted to get close to Him. And in a sense, one of the things about Catholicism that rubs me the wrong way is that the Pope and other saints, they're essentially worshipped. They're worshipped. And what Jesus would say is, the Pope, I'm sure, has done some great things, but he's no match for me. Mother Teresa, I'm sure, has done some amazing things, but, but she is no match for me. There, There's no superstar that we can elevate to a high place that can compete with Jesus Christ. So it, it's it's Batman in his bat suit and and he's got the Batmobile and all of those good things. But what the writer of Hebrew would say is, I gave the person the mind who created the bat suit and the Batmobile. So why in the world would you worship Batman, the created thing, or the created being? When you can worship the one who gave the person the mind, who created the Batmobile and the Batsuit, why wouldn't you worship the Creator? Why wouldn't you worship the one who put the heart in the Pope to serve the poor? Why wouldn't you worship the Creator? Rather than giving your worship to superstars who will always fail you who do you give your worship to who do you give your adoration to who are you looking to for hope and significance the writer of hebrews would say only christ can be that secondly christ is better because only he can reach the heart look at this with me verse 8 i mean it's all over this passage today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Verse 10. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their hearts. Verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you and any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. Verse 15. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. We cannot move forward without understanding that it is the heart that Jesus is after. Jesus is not after our performance. Jesus is not after our dance steps. He's after our hearts. Because the heart is, is the seat of your entire life. So goes the heart, so goes your marriage. So goes the heart, so goes your love for the poor. So goes your heart, so goes the way you spend your money. Jesus is not after your performance. He's after your heart. He's, he's after the inner being. He, he is after your essence. He's after your nucleus. That's the heart. Jesus could care less about your lip service. He could care less about our waving of our hands and walking out of this place and living any kind of way we want to. Jesus wants our hearts. He wants our hearts. Our hearts can lead us to fall away from Christ. Our hearts can become callous and stubborn, our passage says. And we can even go astray in our hearts. The heart is the nucleus. See, doing good won't change our hearts. And that's one of the reasons why when we see racism all over the place and people are saying, we need new laws, we need we need this, we need laws will not change the heart, only Christ will. And He is beckoning us to Himself that He may transform our hearts. That so goes my heart, my marriage will be changed. So goes my heart, I will spend my money in a different way. So goes my heart, I will be able to lovingly and patiently parent my children with grace. So goes my heart, so goes everything. Jesus is not after our performance. He is after our hearts. He's not after our church going. He's after salvation. He's after our hearts. He wants us to move toward Him. Proverbs 21 verse 2 says this, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. See, we could dress ourselves up on the outside. We can put on church clothes and, and you know, we or, or we can do the, the, the non-traditional thing and we can wear jeans to, to church, you know what I'm saying, to be cool or whatever we want to do. We can dress ourselves up, but if our heart is not transformed, this is what the writer of Hebrews is saying, we are going nowhere. And what Jesus is after is He is after your heart. He's not after your virginity because He knows if I get the heart, I'll get everything else. If I get the heart, I'll get the checkbook. If, if I get the heart, I'll get everything else. He's after our hearts, that our hearts may be transformed to be more like Jesus Christ. I remember when I was probably about 14 years old, my brother and I, we, we bought this car together. And um, it, obviously it was a crazy idea because my brother convinced me to put my money in with his, even though he was the only one of the two that had a license. <laughs> And he convinced me that yeah, I will let you drive it sometimes. So we we put $250 a piece and we bought this $500 car and it was this little Dodge, this small little car. It was white, y'all. And and when we saw it uh, on this lot, um, the tires were all shined up, Uh, y'all. I mean, this thing was shining. It was it was beaming. It was this little Plymouth Sundance. And, and when we opened the doors, the carpet was just so clean, you could eat off of it. I mean, this thing was beautiful. We just had to have it. $500 slapped down. And I want to say the next day we drove off the lot, that thing was acting a fool. <laughs> I mean... This thing was a lemon if I've never seen one. The second day, I mean, obviously you buy a $500 car as is. And this thing was a clunker before. I mean, the next day, I don't know how they got it to do that. This thing was bad. Because we didn't look inside the car what we really should have been investigating was the motor and the transmission. We we should have been investigating what was on the inside of the car and not what it looked like on the outside. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is pointing to, that, that God is after our hearts and Jesus says, I am enough because I want your heart and I don't want your performance. He's not after our stuff. He's not after us doing the motions. He is after our hearts. Have you given Him your heart? And do you go back to Him on a daily basis to give Him your heart over and over and over again? Lastly, Christ is better because unbelief will not fulfill us. He's better because unbelief will never... Fulfill us. A couple different times we see in our passage. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. I love this. Because here again, we saw this in chapter 1, but here again in chapter 3, we are seeing this morning, And a couple different times we see this word today. And y'all, I, one of the things I love about preaching through books is because you don't have to figure out something to say. You just you just say what's there. And, and I don't have to apologize for it. And, and some some people may say, oh, this is fire and brimstone, or Are we Southern Baptists in here, or what. This is the Bible. What, what the writer of Hebrews is saying today, he's saying today. He's saying, don't let this hour pass right now that Christ may dwell in your heart, that he may be enough for you today. And if I could just say it like he would say it today, do not harden your hearts right now. Don't let the day pass. Don't let right now pass because tomorrow is not promise. And the writer of Hebrews knows what James would say, that we are but a mist that appears for a little time. We are but vapor that would appear for a little time, and then y'all, we vanish. And that's why he would say today, do not harden your hearts. And I love this because it's, it's understanding. The writer of Hebrews understands that that the Jewish Christians in antiquity, they are struggling with unbelief. He recognizes that though they have seen God provide, and he points back To Exodus chapter 17. And he points back essentially to Psalm chapter 95 verses 7 through 11. And Psalm chapter 95 is essentially pointing way back to Exodus chapter 17. And what he's pointing to is the nation of Israel wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And God is still providing for them. And yet they still rebel against him. God is providing manna for them and He's providing water for them in the wilderness and they still turn their backs on Him and the writer of Hebrews is saying to the church of antiquity, don't be like that. Don't don't turn your back on Christ out of unbelief and what He would say to us today is the same thing. Don't be like that. Don't be like the nation of Israel with unbelief in their hearts, even though God was providing for them over and over again. And I I think I can look back in the rear view mirror of my life and I can look back for to to how God provided. For me, over and over again, y'all. I remember when I was in college, and and we didn't have any money, and and my grades weren't all that good, and so I had to get into school and work hard uh, before I can get any scholarships, and that eventually happened. But in the early days, I had some real needs, and I needed three thousand dollars, or I was going to get put out of college, and I didn't have anything to go back to but the hood in St. Louis, and I just prayed, God, would you help? Would you provide? And God sent the money. I can. And look back in the rearview mirror of my life to see how God has provided. And if I were honest, I gotta tell you that I forget it sometimes. I forget. And the writer of Hebrews is cautioning us, he's cautioning us and, and telling us that we may catch on to this. That unbelief will only lead to destruction. It it will only lead to condemnation. It will never fulfill us. And these passages, they are helping us again to refocus. Because the primary message is that Jesus don't have to wait three days, y'all. He ain't got to wait three days. He can just step on the scene. And He is essentially fresh to death because He is greater and He is better than. He's better than anything else that we would ever begin to compare Him to. He is so much better that He gave His only life for us, I remember when my mother used to discipline us. And it was so crazy. I, three sisters and a, br- a brother. My mother would discipline us in, in our house. And she would always say, I'm going to make a believer out of y'all. That's not it. She'd say, I'm going to make a believer out of y'all. Because uh, y'all don't believe that fat meat is greasy. And, and. Growing up, y'all, she said it so much that I thought it was like a Bible verse or something. (laughs) You know, I'm getting a little older, looking like, where is the fat meat? Going to the the source? you know what I'm saying? Like, fat meat, where is the fat? Um, She said it over and over again. I'm going to make a believer out of you. Y'all don't believe that fat meat is greasy. And essentially what she was saying is, you're going to trust me whether you like it or not. You're going to put your faith in me, whether you would like it or not. I want you to believe that I'm leading you in the right direction. And this is the message of Christ. That unbelief will never fulfill you. That unbelief will only lead you to to destruction because only Christ can fulfill And He can fulfill so much so that He gave His very life. He made purification for sin. And He gave His blood. He said yes to death. He laid down His life on our behalf that we might put our hope and our faith in Jesus Christ. And through that sacrifice, He's saying, I'm better than anything else. Fix your eyes upon me. Fix your gaze Upon me. And essentially, you're going to believe the fat meat is greasy one way or the other. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Pray, God, that You would help us to remember. Help us to remember, God, all that You've done for us and all that You've accomplished at the cross of Christ. And I pray that we would embrace it, that that we would embrace this essential truth that Christ is better than anything we would compare Him to. That He's better than any superstars, that he's, He's better than our unbelief. That He is better than. I pray we'd embrace it for ourselves. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.